Welcome to Consilience, an African science podcast, brought to you from Johannesburg, South Africa. Consilience is a weekly podcast dedicated to promoting reason, skepticism, and a scientific worldview in Africa and beyond. Welcome to Consilience. Today is October 31st, 2012, and I'm Owen Swart. Joining me today are Patrick Till. Hi, guys. And Dion Barnard. Top of the morning, Miss Sophie. Well, welcome back, guys. Glad to have you on the show. Good to be back. Excellent. Seems as though it's the same as usual. Huh. So um, let's get started with teaching Angela to appreciate history. And who's going to be Angela this week? I'll be Angela. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> right, so um, today is October 31st. And uh, as I'm sure many skeptics will know, October 31st is the anniversary of the death of Harry Houdini. And, and for those who don't know, Harry Houdini was a, a magician and an escape artist was born in, in Budapest in 1874, and um, in his later years, he rose to prominence as a as a skeptic of note. He he participated in uh, in experiments and debunking of, of spiritualists in particular. These, these are people who believe that they can uh, communicate with spirits of the dead. Um, and uh, yeah, Harry was uh, quite upset about that whole situation, and, and so when he died, he, he kind of left instructions that uh, his, uh, his widow in particular tried to contact him using a seance, you know, the, the methods put forward by the spiritualists, um, in, the, the, in, in the realm of the dead to see if that worked. Um, so we're going to conduct our own little seance here while, while we're recording tonight's episode, just to see if it works. We're going to try and contact the, the, the spirit of Harry Houdini. Yeah. So, so what we have here on the table is we have a bottle of Mountain Dew, which is the official beverage of the Consilience podcast. And resting on top of that bottle of Mountain Dew, if you wouldn't mind, Patrick, is a little plus, a little tin dish that once contained a mince pie, Christmas mince pie, because we like Christmas mince pies here in Consilience. And um, and this is going to be the object of our seance. So so let's let's begin. Let's begin. All right, uh, ladies and gentlemen, let us welcome Harry Houdini to join us today on this October the thirty first, two thousand twelve. Harry Houdini, if you are out there. And you can hear us. Before you, you have a little tin foil. Give us a little blast. Blow it off. Or knock on the, the wall. Knock on the window. Uh, rattle the roof. Do something interesting. Show us that you are there. All right. Okay. Well, well now, now that we've, been, we've initiated the seance, we'll, uh, we'll keep an eye on this little tin, uh, tin dish while we're recording the episode. Let's, uh, let's go ahead. And, uh, and this week we have a discussion topic about the... Uh, the 2012, the, the 2011 South African census results that were released today, I think it was, or, or yesterday. Patrick, you, you know about this stuff. I won't say I know about this stuff, but I've seen it in the newspapers and all that. And I thought it'd be interesting to just highlight a couple of the um, so-called findings mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and just see what uh, is happening there. Now, the first headline we see here, whites earn six times more than blacks. Wow. That sounds scary. Why have we, uh, what? Why are we earning so much more than our fellow countrymen? Isn't this a new South Africa? What are we doing wrong? Um, and then you have a closer look at some of the other uh, results. There's another lovely little result here. Less than a third of South Africans have matric. So, so matric for our international listeners, that's a, a grade 12 qualification. That's what we, we call it here. So, so in other words, only a third of South Africans have completed high school. For the uh, discussion that we're having here at the moment, if you aren't getting education, you can't be expected to um, earn a lot of money. 
Um, this is what we see when we look at all these articles. It's very easy to just grab a single headline and make a story out of it. But when you delve deeper, there's reasons for it. Right, right. Uh, just, just to clarify, I mean, we're saying um, uh, six uh, average white person earns six times more than the average black person. Is that right. what I'm hearing? That is what it is saying here. Yes, but but you know that that makes lots of sense if we come from an era where the average white person was earning, uh, say, uh, fifty times more than the average black person. That's true. Yeah. And uh, this this may be, in fact, an indicator of, of a huge uh, progress. Rather than than uh, I mean obviously it's shocking in its own right but um, but uh, my sense is that that's probably what's happened to those numbers. Well, that yes, you're correct there. I see here the statistics point to a growth, growing black middle class with the majority race groups yearly household income showing the fastest growth of 169 percent. Wow, that's yeah. Bad. So it is actually growing. So this is showing us again the difference between a headline. And the story behind it, and and I'm sure that most people are have have had some uh, um, exposure to the South African situation either via the World Cup or uh, just having seen Nelson Mandela rise to, to fame in 1994 and that sort of thing. Um, South Africa's embarked on a um, on a system on a on a um, what's the word here on a, a path. Uh, a path <laughs> uh, of black empowerment, and uh, there's absolutely no doubt that the uh, as as much as um, any system takes years to change, and there's a lot to undo, uh, and it's probably going to take a few generations before things just all balance up and equalize, and and uh, we forget the, the the sins of the past, so to speak, in South Africa. I think that black empowerment process has really done a lot for South Africans. And it may not be as fast as, as uh, we'd all hoped for, but it's, it's, it's certainly a, a behemoth that is moving forward. But of course, it's easy for us to say that because we're three white guys sitting around the table. Um, eating ghost pops. Eating ghost pops. <laughs> drinking Mountain Dew. Um, I, I just wanted to you know, point out that, that we, we kind of, the three of us may have a slightly skewed perspective on this, but um, I, I agree, Dion, and it's... I, I think the the point here is is that these kind of headlines will often take uh, the, the numbers out of context. So yeah, six, six times more that sounds like a big number, but then let's look at what what it was before. I think that's the most important here, most important aspect here is is what are these numbers in context? Is it getting better? Is it not? And it, by the sound of it, it is getting better. That's awesome. Yeah. Yes, and uh, yeah, it's definitely getting better. But the thing that worries me the most, and I don't know if it's getting better. So looking at these stats, it might actually be getting worse. Is this a third of the population has only got a, 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 a metric? Right. I'm reading here some more stats, and it says here 8.6% have not had any schooling at all. Wow. Mm, that is that is pretty shocking. I mean, I, I can't say I'm all that surprised, but that's that's really not acceptable. Um, I think the reason that this uh, really hits us the most here, or certainly hits me uh, quite hard is that, to me, I see skepticism, the, the movement of skepticism, as a movement of education, of science education. Um, and if we're not even giving the basic grade school education, uh, where are we going to get? How are we going to be able to teach these people to think skeptically? Um, I've got no answer, but it's certainly something we have to sit and think about. That's a very good point. I mean, if, if we 
how can we teach critical thinking if they don't know how to read? What's interesting uh, in South Africa is that there is free education, uh, or certainly close to free for the majority of people, and uh, and and in areas where um, there is a lot of poverty, uh, often any number of schools where kids can go. The the uh, there are a couple of problems. One is those schools are hugely overcrowded. You you've got fifty, sixty, a hundred kids per teacher uh, in a classroom. And uh, and of course, no no uh, no one has the fortitude to deal with that kind of uh, stress and level of of uh, human organization, that kind of crowd control. So what often happens is you 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 lack commitment from the teachers. Um, class, they just don't arrive at school on days that they're exhausted. Uh, you got kids just sitting around. It, it, it doesn't seem to be a major benefit for them coming to school, so they just don't come to school. Right. You've got very negative habits that have been formed uh, because of the lack of infrastructure and the way that our education system has been set up. And then, of course, um, there are areas where it's just difficult for kids to get to school. You know, we, yeah. we, we still have a strong rural community in South Africa. It's not an urban culture across the board. And uh, we've got folk that might need to walk 20 k's to school. Mm-hmm. And, and that really becomes problematic. So there are a few issues that need to be dealt with in, in, in the system. Well, I think we can all agree that it really is a difficult situation. Um, teachers being paid so little. Uh, difficult working hours, difficult working conditions, schools so far apart. I mean, uh, there's stories of kids who have to walk an hour or two to school. And uh, this isn't a grandparent story. These kids are actually walking an hour or two to school every day yeah, in yeah. the rain, in the snow, and so forth. And on top of all that, when they get to school, we had that uh, textbook debacle a couple mm. of we- months ago. Yeah. And I see it still hasn't gone all the way through to all the places. Um, uh, there's there's some things that we can't uh, control so easily at the moment. It takes a while to train teachers. It takes a while to get this, the, improve their salaries and the working conditions. Yeah. But the textbooks were there, and we didn't deliver them. Yeah, yeah that, that would have been a quick, a quick win, as they say in, in corporate speak. Low-hanging fruit. Low-hanging fruit, yeah, yeah. And I couldn't even get that right. Yeah. There are close to 1.3 million households in South Africa without access to piped water. Wow. 1.3 million. 1.3 million. So, so that's out of a total population of, or what was it, something like 50 million? 52 million. But uh, we've got 14 million households. So what's that? It's wow. Okay. About 10%. Right. Okay. Okay. So that's not quite so bad. as <laughs> One out of 50. Right. But still, that's not that's not acceptable at all. And of course, that, that, that again comes back to the, the rural population. I mean, there are a whole whole towns, many of them, lots of little towns in places like rural KwaZulu-Natal and the northwest province, where there just is no infrastructure, there is no water, there is no electricity, that, that, that this just doesn't exist. You know, these, these people are subsistence farmers, they have no economic clout, so they can't get this stuff. And that same goes for education. And then, of course, many of those um, being in that situation leave that situation to come to the cities where there is the hope of infrastructure and support and so forth, only to find that there isn't. Yeah. And uh, and so they camp outside the city on a field, yeah. and those camps grow and become squatter camps and, and become informal settlements and townships. Um, but... Uh, we have these sprawling informal settlements just all around Joburg, Pretoria. In fact, any largest ch- town in South Africa yeah. have sprawling informal settlements. 
which themselves do not have running water, electricity, no. uh, basic amenities, the, the garbage piles high all around. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, South Africa is an interesting combination of first world and third world. Yeah. It, it, there, there are elements of South Africa that are so first world that, that we beat the Americans. Yeah. Uh, you know, our malls are world class. Mm-hmm. Our, our roads are fantastic for the most part. Yeah. Our, our, ba- banking, our banking system, yeah. our banking system is, is, is beyond what most countries could dream of. Mm-hmm. But, but then you just drive three Ks in any direction out of Joburg and you hit one of these sprawling uh, informal settlements and it's just human misery. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I'm still sitting with a hail-destroyed roof mm. from, a, from a couple of weeks back and we're hoping insurance gets to our house one of these days and, and we know how, how inconvenient it is to be rained upon through mm. our roof yeah. uh, onto our stuff and that kind of stuff. But there are people living like this all the time. This right. is their life. When it rains, they huddle in a corner, wait for the storm to pass, mm. and then sweep the mud out and carry on the next day. Yeah. You know, and 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 so you've 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 got this first world mecca just living side by side, mm. uh, the sprawling uh, misery. Yeah, yeah, all in all in all in one place. And obviously, there's there's a lot of legacy that goes into that. Mm. And uh, my my personal opinion is that it's going to take a couple of years, and not just a couple of years, but a couple of generations yeah. uh, for us to see some of that uh, being fixed and whole new mindsets moving into a rapidly changing economy with new mm-hmm. technology and so forth. And, and uh, hopefully we'll see some of these things change. You know? Yeah, but I, th- I think one of the saddest things, uh, to give, use Dion's example there, is we've got these squatter camps just down the road in these rich, exclusive areas. Mm -hmm. And the squatter camps, they don't have sanitary, uh, there's a lot of disease, they don't have access to medical centers, Mm -hmm. and yet South Africa has some of the best doctors in the world. I know, personally, of many people who come from the UK to South Africa because we've got the best doctors. Mm -hmm. Now, those doctors are working in the private uh, medical industry. Correct. Which is not the... That's where they earn money. Although we have socialized medicine, the, the, the government health department is not great. And the, the, the people who work there don't get paid well, and so the, the level of, of care is not great. And yeah, so, so yes, absolutely, world class doctors. I mean, we we're known to export our doctors to places like Cuba and Canada because they're so well trained here. But um, yeah, that the, most of the people here just don't have access to. Uh, here's an interesting stat: uh, more TVs than fridges in SA homes. Of the fourteen point five million homes, ten point seven million have a TV. Well, 9.9 million have fridges. Um, 10.7 million, that's uh, what, 70, 80% of the homes have televisions. It's impressive. It's a lot. And maybe that is a way in for education. Yeah. If you can't get the kids into schools which and they're not getting the full education, mm. I know that our, uh, we do have these learning channels and all right, that. Right. And it's, people do seem to watch it. But maybe we need to push it more, get it more into the people's homes, get more. Well, that would that would be great if we had a broadcasting corporation that showed a bit of Richard Dawkins, for instance. Yes, yeah. But uh, as it currently stands, I suggest to everyone I train to turn their TV off and leave it off for the most part. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I mean, the, the reality is that where you have sprawling masses of people, and it's not unusual for them to have a TV before they have any other luxury item mm. in their house, it obviously gives them a sense that they're connected to the world and so forth. Mm. But um, 
it's it's also how you develop a nation of zombies you know yeah. uh, where where some guy who you don't know decides what you're going to watch mm. and you sit and stare at it and obediently watch whatever it is he tells you to watch yeah. and uh this is commercial television which i, I honestly have not touched for about eight years now oh, mm. and i'm quite happy without it isn't isn't that interesting as a as a social dynamic, where for lower classes, owning a TV is a status symbol, but for higher classes, not owning a TV is a status symbol. <laughs> I mean, I don't own a TV, and I'm quite happy about that. I'm quite, I'm quite proud of that fact. Yeah, that's I right. You catch your, your movies on your on your PC. I'd yes, say. yeah, which yeah. I download and purchase legally. Crickets <laughs> <laughs> through Netflix. Netflix.co.za. Yeah. Damn those Netflix people. Uh, yeah. Well, that's pretty much all I've got here that's really caught my eye. There's still a whole bunch of other stats. I'm sure over the weeks as the analysts go through it, they'll start picking up some more uh, trends and um, reporting on it. And it'll be interesting to see where it goes to. Just just a last comment from me. I, I You know, I'm fairly dubious about those those statistics just just to start with yeah i mean these guys were meant to have gone door to door and, and spoken to every household and mm -hmm. and so forth i don't think i know anyone who actually filled in a census form oh, I, I filled in oh one. did you I did. hey I good for you <laughs> they actually say here that uh they estimate about 14.5 percent of the population did not fill in the census forms I, I'm so I'm feeling like it's higher. Yeah, I mean, how do they know? <laughs> you know, if if it didn't get to the organised suburbs, yeah. where it was easy to just go door to door, yeah. I, how how the hang did they get to uh, these? As I say, sprawling masses of informality. Yeah. I I I'm I'm feeling like we're hearing statistics from like thirty percent of. The, yeah. Of the South African population, yeah. and which, which uh, is probably rep representative. I, you know, I guess it's probably fair to to, to, to say that, that based on thirty percent of the population, we can probably derive some fairly reliable statistics. Are there any stats there, uh, Patrick, on religion? I did not see any stats on religion. I was hoping to find something, but I don't think they've come out yet, mm, which is kind of surprising. Yeah, no, most of the atheists I know didn't get counted. No. Yes. <laughs> no. currently, most of point the, exactly. currently, most of the stats are dealing with money, uh, income, education, sure. amenities, and so forth. But I'm sure some of those deeper questions will yeah. well, I mean, rise to the top eventually. It's coming up for election season, so it's it's not surprising that that's the stuff that would come out first. Do they say how many South Africans use Google versus uh, versus Facebook? No. No, they don't. Okay. I'm sure I could get those numbers for you. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you could. <laughs> <laughs> Don't need to rely on stats, eh? Uh, Patrick, do you know if the if the, the stats have been open sourced or is it just available to to uh, stats, eh? Analysts and those sorts of people. Um, I don't see anything to say with it. All I see, I've been searching to try and get some better stats other mm -hmm. than these um, reported stats through the news media. Mm -hmm. I'm not finding anything else besides the news media articles. Okay. Okay. What is interesting is that. Um, I've been using an app here that gives me across the country, across the world's uh, news things, and 65, 66 other newspapers around the world, from the Guardian to the UK Times, are discussing these stats. In particular, the one that seems to have the most hits is this: uh, six, uh, the whites earning six times more than the blacks in this country. That mm. seems to be really hitting the world uh, quite hard. Yeah, and of course, no doubt that's been taking. I mean, given the wrong angle, of course, you know, that there still exists this inequality as opposed to things are getting better. Yeah. 
And of course, they're not reporting that other thing, that the other stat that I put in there of a 167% increase in the salaries. They're just reporting the headlines right. off. Of course. Uh, six times more to the whites and the blacks. Right. All right. Well, shall we move on to the regular news? All right, Patrick, you've got a story for us about an actual working Star Trek tractor beam. Oh, awesome. I love tractors. <laughs> yeah, well, you've got to find some way of getting them from one part of the world to another. Yeah, yeah. Physicists demonstrate an actual working Star Trek tractor beam. Is any part of that headline accurate? Apparently, yes. Are there wow. any quotations that, on that headline? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> this is apparently accurate. It's actually, they've got a tractor beam, wow. a beam of light that will pull an article. Um, oh, wow. I'm just read this. They've got a 30 micrometer silica sphere, sphere mm-hmm. suspended in water, and they managed to make it move. Awesome. Wow. In water, huh? Hey? In water. They managed to pull it using light. Yes. Pull it to water. Interesting. Okay. How, in, how does that work, Patrick? <laughs> sure, there's some very, very big words Are they here. using gravitons? Are they using quantum? No, 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 none of those words. <laughs> the really fancy words here are... Sucker photons. <laughs> <laughs> Upstream and downstream things. Oh. Trying to find, sorry, I can't find my notes here. Is it entanglement? Ah, here we go. We've got a Bessel beams axis. Oh, I don't know what that means. No, I don't think I do either. <laughs> but basically, this beam, they, it's, they've changed the polarity of the mm-hmm. beam to make this article thing move. But that I'm sounds, looking at that the sizes like here. Star Trek. Yeah, 30 micrometers. How big is a micrometer again? That's really, really small. Yeah. Something like a fraction of a human hair. Yeah, it's heading toward nano. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, yeah. get all your accurate science right here on Consilience. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Unlike previous <laughs> failed experiments, they were able to do this by multiple lenses that could slightly bend the beams and cause them to overlap. Ah, of course, okay. the strobe effect behind the particles, which provided the required energy to draw the object backwards back towards the source. Okay, all right. So, so they're using kind of a, an interference pattern with the light, creating a, 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 like a light vortex behind the object to then which then forces pressure backwards towards where the lasers are coming from. That's pretty much it, yes. Okay, okay. Which makes me Creating wonder... Creating like a, like a bit of a vacuum almost. That's... Almost, kind of, yeah. Well, yeah. well it's, it's kind of... It's, it's, uh, it's colliding two beams behind the, the little sphere and then that scattering some, some photons from behind and then using that light to push the sphere in the opposite direction. Yeah, it's pretty much that. But if you think about it, what sort of vacuum can you get from a light? Yeah. And uh, I think they, they agree with it, uh, Quoting here, the possibility of combining multiple beams to move an object in three dimensions was also put forth, but the scalability of the process is questionable. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're perhaps a few years away from being able to tow starships with this. Yeah, it, it's almost like you're using sort of quantum dynamics, mm. uh, trying to use quantum dynamics in a Newtonian universe here. Yeah. Uh, the, the, I mean, as, as far as I know, light has no mass correct and and so this would be a difficult thing to achieve sure well, it, it doesn't need to have mass but it, it does impart uh, pressure like a solar wind um 
it's imparting energy into the particle and because it's it's uh, only on the one side of the sphere um that that the one side of the sphere will then heat up relative to the other side and then it'll expel that energy again forcing it off forcing it in the opposite direction it would be a very very weak effect but enough to move it apparently yeah well reading the article it seems as though it's sort of if the atom is stationary, floating with no resistance, mm. it might be able to move it a micrometer or two. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> I don't think the Millennium Falcon will have no. any problem resisting that. Ah, uh, <laughs> 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 oh, yeah, so the Millennium Falcon. Yeah, yeah, that's good, a good, good, good reference. Good segue, so. Patrick. <laughs> but of course, we we learned today that. Uh, uh, the Disney Corporation has purchased the rights for Star Wars. Yay! We're very happy about that. <laughs> it's been liberated from the evil clutches of George Lucas. So, uh, yeah, we can perhaps have some awesome new Star Wars stuff to look at. Look forward to. It. So Episodes you're saying awesome. the six cheesiest, most poorly acted movies of all time with the greatest potential mm. are now going to a company that knows what to do with good potential? It would seem so. Or at least and with cheesiest actors. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, what they did with the Avengers was fantastic. It Amazing. was awesome. I, I have to say Avengers is like up in my top five movies of all time. Yeah. And if Disney could do that, I'm saying knock them out, man. Oh, yeah. Take Star Wars and do something with it. Bring it on. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Oh, I can't wait. It's going to be good things. Just don't touch Star Trek. Yes. Yeah. Well, you can, you can touch Star Trek, but only with a tractor beam and from behind. What she said. <laughs> uh, Dion, you had a story about religion. Yeah, yes, it's a lovely, great story from one of our favorite people here on this show. The mm -hmm. show where one of our favorite people happens to be Ray Comfort. Yay, it's Banana Man. Woo! Now, not only did he reveal to us the great mystery of why bananas are shaped the way they are, mm, mm. just perfectly shaped for the human hand, the way God intended it to be. Right, right. But he also revealed to us, and uh, and I'm I'm reading off the uh, on the box. Um, it's a ministry website, Living Waters, uh, uh, with Ray Comfort on the box with Ray Comfort, right? Wow. And uh, effectively, it's every bit of Ray Comfort drivel they could put together on one website. <laughs> and, um, and this particular piece of drivel, which happened this month, was words of comfort. Einstein <laughs> was not an atheist. Oh, he wasn't? No. I'm comforted by that. Oh, yeah. I I'm, I'm, uh, feel much more comfortable <laughs> knowing that. Now, if anyone actually gave a shit in the first place about whether <laughs> Albert Einstein was an atheist or not, mm. because apparently that actually matters to somebody. Yeah. Um, what, what's so fantastically awesome about his, his, his latest discovery, and, 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 and what I love about Ray Comfort is he doesn't actually ever need evidence to discover anything. No. He just he sits at home, something occurs to him, and he writes a book, and it's, yeah. just, it's just freaking awesome. Awesome. I mean, that's obviously God putting those words in his heart. Yeah, absolutely. And his mouth and his pen and his ass. <laughs> okay. Now, um, so he starts off on this article with a, with a quote about, and, and it's, not one of, it's not one of the best Albert Einstein quotes that clearly shows that Albert Einstein was an atheist toward Jehovah God of the Christians. Yeah. But, but he, he puts in one of the quotes um, from Albert Einstein, which says, the, the word 
God is for me nothing more than the expression and product of human weaknesses. The Bible is a collection of honorable but still primitive legends which are nevertheless pretty childish. And he mm. goes on with the rest of the quote, yeah. that particular quote. And then Comfort says he was angered by those who alleged that he was an atheist, saying, in view of such harmony in the cosmos, which I, with my limited human understanding, and we all agree with that, yeah. am able to recognize there are yet people who say there is no God. But what, what really makes me angry, so clearly that's not what really made yeah, him angry. Yeah. What really makes him angry is that they quote me for the support of such views. Okay? Now, I, he's quoting Albert Einstein. Yeah. And a quote from Albert Einstein where Albert Einstein is saying, if you want to fight your battle about atheism or non-atheism, don't quote me. Right. Uh, like fight your own battle. Exactly. I, if if I, I want to be what I want to be, you don't have to pull me into your battle. That's what Albert Einstein's oh. saying here. Of course, um, uh, this this champion Ray, uh, um, Ray Comfort uh, takes this and and thinks this is clearly Albert Einstein saying that he is not an atheist. Mm. Now, I have a list, a veritable treasure trove, a mountain of quotes from Albert Einstein with article, source, and year of publication of every <laughs> single time Albert Einstein said, okay, maybe you didn't hear me the last time. I don't believe in a God who meddles in the affairs of mankind. Albert Einstein did not believe in a God that has any kind of impact on humanity. He just didn't believe it. They are literally... Tens and hundreds of quotations from Albert Einstein in all his books and writings where he says, stop telling me that I believe in God. I don't. If I believe in anything, if I have any religion, it's the religion that the universe is awesome and there's great wonder and things to be discovered. Uh, if anything, he was a pantheist. He was certainly some kind of a deist. He, some, some sense that, um, or, or, or he touched on, on deism, some mm. sense that there may have been an initial cause, not one that he understands, but certainly nothing with a personality and a beard mm. who cares about what sexual positions you orient yourself to. So whether you think Albert Einstein was an atheist or not is, is fairly irrelevant at the end of the day. Right. Um, because even if, even, if he, even if he was a Christian, mm -hmm. even if he was a, an evangelical Christian, what has that got to do with anything? Yeah, like, exactly. like then he was just a great guy who came up with a theory of relativity and believed a bunch of bullshit about God. Yeah, you know? yeah. Like we don't need him to be an atheist. Yeah, exactly. Like Isaac Newton. You know, he was not an atheist. He invented gravity, but you know, we don't need him to be an atheist in order for, gra for gravity Precisely. to be re a real thing. The, the guy thought he could turn lead into gold. Yeah, he was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but he was awesome in describing yeah. how bodies work in the universe. Yeah, indeed. You know? So, yeah. Look, anyone who's who's um, interested in this conversation, and it is an interesting one. I mean, there's no doubt that it's – like it's it would be slightly disturbing if Albert Einstein was an evangelical Christian. Let's yeah, face it. It, it would be slightly disturbing. It would, it would be mildly annoying, I think. Uh, yeah, I mean, to, to, like cognitive dissonance would be like pretty yeah. huge right there. But but there's certainly no cognitive dissonance. You read all his writings, you read his quotes. Mm. He has a fantastic website that like puts them all together with with um, 
with quotes and years and and uh, references. It's called On Truth and Reality, and it is at www.spaceandmotion.com slash Albert Einstein God Religion Theology. Awesome. And uh, go there, have a look, read through them all, cross-reference them, and you will realize without any surprise that Ray Comfort is an ass. <laughs> <laughs> to sum it up into one quote here, the idea of a personal God is an anthropological concept of which I'm unable to take seriously. Nice. Yeah. Albert Einstein, letter to Hoffman and Dukas, 1946. Well, there you go. I don't think it gets much clearer than that. No. All right. Well, um, yeah, I have a story too. And my story is about Mamba Venom, which is awesome. Oh, I love Mamba Venom. Yeah, so do I. For breakfast with... Yeah. It's the breakfast of champions. So so if you've ever taken a, a guided walking tour through through the South African bushveld, you have no doubt been briefed on what to do if you're faced with a black mamba, and that is to run like fuck. <laughs> well, not really. There's, there's other stuff you're supposed to do. I can't remember. But, <laughs> yeah, no, but running does come to mind. <laughs> well, it's yeah. a good idea, but apparently it runs at like 40 kilometers an hour, yeah. so it's, it's faster don't than bother you. running. Yeah. <laughs> it, it and it's probably fast. bitten you twice before you know about it. Yeah, so. exactly. Yeah. Black mambas are bad news. Um, but uh, you'll what you will have heard is that black mamba venom is among the deadliest in the region. Yeah, forget those fucking Australian snakes. Yeah, please. I mean, <laughs> puny Australian yeah. venomous snakes. They... Come on, come to South Africa and see a real venomous yeah. snake. I mean, a black member will stand two meters tall ahead of you and then bite you on the face with its deadly shit. It, you know, it, it'll fuck you up, right? Don't, don't, don't there, the there, there, there are legends that, that that that's where in your face came from. Yeah, exactly, from black members. Yeah, that's that's just that's how it came. I, I don't know which is worse with the black mamba. They're poison or they're really bad attitude because they really just hate everyone. They do. They're, they're, you know, they're, they're, not, uh, they're not pleasant individuals, really. They don't make good neighbors to black mambas. And they're big-ass snakes. They're like three, four meters long. They're huge. And they're frightening, scary motherfuckers. But um, there's, uh, there's good news. We don't have to kill them all um, because new research suggests that they are more, good for more than just scaring the shit out of tourists. And uh, this comes from a study that was published in Nature by Sylvie Diershaw and her colleagues from the uh, the Centre National de la Recherche Scientifique, uh, which in sounds bloody sexy. It is does sound sexy, and, and translated that means the French National Centre for Scientific Research. Oh no, that doesn't sound no, sexy at all. That's not quite as sexy. <laughs> so, so what the study was about is that they're looking at um, how pain works in the human body, and and one of the ways that it works is through acid sensing ion channels which are these, these tiny little molecular structures in, in, your, in, in your cells and in your nervous system. Um, and an activation of those channels causes pain. And there was a, a recent study looking at a, a, a particular kind of, of snake venom, not mamba venom, it was another snake, um, not the, the venom itself, but a peptide contained within that venom, which when, uh, when exposed to these acid-sensing ion channels, or ASICs, um, was able to, to, uh, to create pain without any kind of nervous stimulation. This was in, in, uh, in mice, this uh, study was done. But now this study that uh, Diosho has published was looking at the effects of mamba venom, or at least a peptide found in mamba venom. Uh, they, they've called it um, mambalgins. These peptides are mambalgins. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> <laughs> mumbelgins. Yeah. Um, and these mumbelgins are able to inhibit the function of these ASICs, these acid-sensing ion channels, to uh, virtually remove pain. They have apparently, a, a, they're extremely effective in mice. You know, this hasn't been done in, in humans yet. 
And another bonus is that there's much less of a tolerance effect than morphine. So this stuff not only is extremely good at at, uh, at removing pain, but there's there's a lot less addictive quality and you, you don't have this effect of like with morphine when you take a certain amount now to re- remove your pain the next time you have to take a little bit more to remove that same amount of pain the time after that you have to take a little bit more because you build up a tolerance to it this does that does happen with these mumbalgins but to a far lesser extent so it's in general a, a better uh, analgesic than morphine at least in mice so uh, what, what you what you don't don't be fooled if a black member bites you, you will feel pain. Yes, it will hurt like fuck uh, for about twenty seconds, and then you Bef- die before you die. Yeah. <laughs> so, so there, there is a correct way to do this at home, kids. Yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, Don't you, you have to muck the, the mumbo? No. <laughs> so, so we're not we're not talking about raw mumbo venom here that's being injected into mice. This is a specific peptide that's been isolated out to the mumbo venom, the, the mumbalgins peptides. Um, and uh, it looks like this is a promising new uh, avenue for uh, analgesic research. And uh, I think we can probably expect to see this kind of thing in humans in a few years because it uh, seems very promising. Hmm. Yeah, well, that's awesome. quite exciting. Yeah. Oh, what, what are the Mambelgians called in Star Wars? Um, oh, oh, the, the, the Metichlorians. The Metichlorians. Yeah. Do you think they're similar? Um, I, yes. No? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Do they look like Mickey Mouse? I don't know. I don't remember in the three Star Wars movies anything about midichlorines. I, I don't. I don't recognize the second and third Star Wars movies. I only recognize the first one, the one and only Star Wars movie. The rest are just spin-offs. Which was number four? No, it was number one. One and only. <laughs> You're right. It's the the, yeah, the, the was, first one had no number. The only, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just called Star Wars. It was just called Star Wars. There were no other names. Yeah, and that is the official view of the show. <laughs> Yeah, so that's good news. And uh, Dion, you've also got some good news about human population explosions. Yeah, it's always good news to know that humans exploded um, more yeah, I like, in I like. population. Yeah. So <laughs> the story is that uh, previously unknown human population boom has been revealed by uh, by DNA. A massive expansion occurred about 40 to 50,000 years ago, mm-hmm. says the article. So I'm reading from the Daily Mail in the UK. And apparently DNA sequencing has revealed that a previously unknown human population boom happened between 40 and 50,000 years ago. Wow. Uh, it's, it's a new study. And what they're doing here is they're sequencing uh, Y chromosomes from 36 men. Mm-hmm. And uh, in doing this, they revealed that a tenfold increase in the number of genetic markers nearly 20,000 years after the first ancestors left Africa um, has been found. Awesome. So until now, they thought that the biggest population boom of modern humans mm-hmm. was the out of Africa event right, right. being not the movie. But <laughs> when the first fairly hairy people mm. left the Serengeti, effectively. Yeah. and um, But as it turns out, there was a much bigger boom mm. that, ha- that happened uh, quite, uh, you know, a few thousand years later. Wow. And what they don't have, they, they, there's no real evidence geologically to mm. suggest that there was some incredible thing that made everybody want to have babies mm. or there's some specific reason why that should have happened. Yeah. The theory at the moment is that probably what happened is they left Central Africa Mm. and moved outward. And then, as would be logical, they all hit an ocean. They all hit the sea. And and the sense was that possibly humans are more 
adapted or more uh, more genetically capable mm. or uh, just more suited to surviving optimally at a coast okay sure than they are inland mm. um, for various reasons and that and that that when they hit the oceans, it just would have created a good opportunity for everybody to flourish and uh, grow and have lots of sex and babies. Awesome. Well, I, I know what, what Michael Tellinger's hypothesis would be, and that is obviously aliens. Obviously. Obviously. There can be no other reason. Yeah, it was aliens. They, they came and then population explosion happened. It was the Egyptian aliens. Yes, yeah. Those aliens, ones. like Zimbabweans. Yes. Mozambique. Which aliens are these? Yes, yeah, those, those ones. The, the Anunnaki. Legal aliens. Yeah, the Anunnaki's who built the, the kraals. Them, those ones, those aliens. They do it. Hmm. Why couldn't we build kraals? Now, yeah, aren't, weren't not. they related to Goliath? Probably. <laughs> yeah, any old nonfiction <laughs> will do right now. <laughs> Um, no. So yeah, I, I just think that's quite interesting. I, no. I'm absolutely fascinated. Um, you know, my my bookshelves are full of uh, history of world atlases, mm -hmm. and I just love com comparing the various accounts of prehistory, mm -hmm. and uh, and and just seeing how the latest evidence of fossil records, and and especially now that we have this fantastic methodologies around DNA sequencing. Mm -hmm. that we can find so many fantastic clues as to, uh, you know, relationships yeah. in the human model and, uh, and how far they go back and where things happen. And I just love this. Mm -hmm. Without a single bit of physical evidence from a geological point of view, you're taking some, some DNA evidence, you're checking it out, mm -hmm. and you're finding the, out these wonderful things about humanity. I just think science rocks and it can only get better now with the uh, dna tests becoming cheaper and cheaper i think it's only about three thousand dollars to have your dna sequence mm -hmm. and as it gets cheaper and more available they discover more and more things as the yeah. pool gets bigger and bigger for all this um yeah, the amount of data studying, they have yeah. more data the more you find these things which leads me back to to last week's uh episode on uh, on brying mm -hmm. and uh, and how I complained that we were having the wrong argument <laughs> that we really ought to be arguing about why the hell it is we think we should could, we should eat our distantly related cousin right. the fact is that our great 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 to the power of 27 or whatever it is grandmother was the same human being yeah. or not human being something like a mouse more like it right, but right. Um, was the same creature mm -hmm. that uh, you know and we're, and we're literally uh, we're, we're eating Eating that uh, yeah. distant relative, you know. Eating our cousins, yeah. Eating our cousins. Somehow that's all right. Uh, we all do it. I mean, I just had a ham sandwich. Yeah. Uh, in yeah. fact, a horrible pig-type hot dog uh, earlier, yeah. um, which tasted lovely. Well, awesome. And, um, and we do it. But we, we certainly have some cognitive dissonance mm. there. I mean, we, we turn something off in our brain. Yeah. And, and my sense is that the more we look into the evolutionary processes mm. Of our past, of you know, just the migrations of humans, and then going back further and seeing the grayer areas starting to develop around, uh, you know, how species branched off from species. Mm -hmm. The more we understand evolution, the more we understand our relationship with everything else that is alive on planet Earth. The harder it is going to be for us to to live the lifestyles we've always lived. We're going yeah. to have to start making adaptations and mm. changes. I mean, it's it's this type of thinking that has created so many, so many wonderful breakthroughs 
against uh, things like slavery, right. against uh, bigotry, against right. racism, because we start to understand there are no races. Yeah. It's, a, it's a superfluous, it's a superficial uh, differentiator, mm-hmm. you know, based on pigmentation. Yeah. But except, we, we know for, that now. No, except for gingers, of course. They, they no, have well, yeah, but they're from the aliens, yes, the yeah, Anunnaki, yeah, those guys. The same guys yeah. who were related to Goliath. That's true. Both yeah. cars. Yeah, and all that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you're absolutely right. There's another aspect to the story which is interesting. When, when we're dealing with the historical sciences, so that's things like archaeology and anthropology and paleontology, there's seldom an opportunity to make predictions. Right? Usually you're just digging up stuff out of the ground and you're, you're uh, figuring out where it fits into the grand scheme of things. But now here they've got an opportunity where, where they've looked at the DNA evidence and now they're now making a prediction. So that at this place in, in geological time, there should be some kind of evidence that they haven't yet discovered, but is waiting to be found of the the cause behind this population explosion. Isn't that exciting? It's very exciting. Though. And and it's not it's not a, it's not a huge geological time frame either. No. In geological terms, it's a spot. Yeah. It's like it's almost a pinpoint on the ruler. It's yeah. like between X and X, and and there's ten thousand years difference between yeah. forty and fifty thousand years old. That is nothing in geological mm. time. Ten thousand years is nothing. Awesome. So so I mean they they're able to just pinpoint things with such accuracy now, which is fin- just absolutely it's fantastic. Awesome. It's very exciting. Yeah. Excellent. So it just blew my mind. I've been sitting here quiet, listening to this, and wow. Science. Mm-hmm. It works. I know, right? I think we should start a podcast. Yeah, we should start, start a podcast about science. Yeah. It works, bitches. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, that's all the news we have for this week. Um, uh, Patrick, you, you have a, a sci-fi and fantasy quote for us this week. Yes, I do. As soon as I can find it again. <laughs> all right. Today's sci-fi fantasy quote. Well... This is actually not from the story. This is yeah. actually Mr. Douglas Adams himself. Oh, that's close enough. I mean, he's a well-known sci-fi author. It's fine. It's fine. He's the man. Yeah. We are stuck with technology. I mean, what we really want is just stuff that works. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta love Douglas Adams. Yeah. Yeah. But he was, he was such a techno geek as well. Yeah, I mean, he Douglas was, yeah. Adams loved touching anything with a button. Yeah, indeed. He was a, he was a good guy. All right. All right. Well, shall we move on to our announcements? Please, let's do. Let's do that. All right. So, uh, first, the first city we'll ca- we'll cover in our announcements is Joburg, and coming up on Wednesday, the seventh of November at seven o'clock is going to be Skeptics in the Pub. So that's seventh of November at seven o'clock, and that's going to be at the Brazen Head Pub in Santon. Is that where we get smashed in a pub? Yeah. Skeptically. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. I doubt that. <laughs> You'll just have to run the experiment. I, I, I'll, I'll be the experiment. Awesome, that. awesome. And then the the following evening, we're going to have Rumble in the pub, and that's on Thursday, the eighth of November. Uh, the details of that are still be still to be advised, but uh, head over to the Rumble Facebook group, and you can see what's happening there. Just watch out for those rumblers. Eh? Yeah, those are dangerous guys. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then um, on there's going to be skeptics in the park then that's happening on sunday the 18th of november and that's at one o'clock at the joburg botanical gardens um just head over to the google plus event and you can find out where to find us exactly and then the next city we've got is the east rand which is part of joburg really but it's also kind of separate a kuruleni a kuruleni yes yeah 
Um, and the event we have there is Skeptics in the Pub. And that's on Tuesday, the 13th of November at 7 o'clock. That's a Tuesday, not a Wednesday. Tuesday, the 13th of November at the Grand Slam Sports Diner in Edenvale. Is that the place where everyone gets to? Oh, we've already done that show. Yeah, <laughs> slammed in a grand way. Oh, Definitely no. one of my favorite pubs in the East Rand. Awesome. Oh, yeah, it's quite a nice place. Quite a nice place. And then the next place we have is the West Rand. So that's Western Joburg. And again, we have a Skeptics in the Pub. And that's coming up on Wednesday, the 21st of November. That's at 7 in the evening. And it's going to be at the Green and Gold Pub in Rotoport, just off the 14th Avenue off-ramp. And we hope to see you guys there. I think I'm probably going to be going to just about all of these things. So uh, if you guys come along, say hi. Awesome. Owen, um, if somebody else has some skeptical events out there, how can they get the information to you? That's a very good question. Um, probably the best way would be to send me an email. Uh, send it to owen at owenswart.org, O-R-G. Um, or you can pop me a message on Google+. Plus. You can just link it to me. Or you can uh, uh, come and visit our Skeptics uh, uh, skeptics google group and I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes for that uh, there's also the south african skeptics facebook group if you publish your event there then I'll, I'll probably pick it up or someone will bring it to my attention you can also drop it in the comments on the show just but anyway there, there I'm, I'm fairly easy to get hold of you can just get me a message of your event and then we'll uh we'll publish publish it on the show for you i'm planning to be skeptically masturbating tomorrow night does that count totally okay. so uh that, that'll be in Joburg. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to have to ask, how do you do it skeptically? I oh, know, you just be skeptical, bro. Yeah. <laughs> All right, then, um, Patrick, do you have a link for us this week? Yes, I do, and it's kind of timely. Um, we've just recently had all these storms in America, this uh, Sandy, mm -hmm. um, that flooded out New York, and a lot of discussions are going around how this is linked to climate change and so forth. And uh, my link of the week is uh, www.skepticalscience.com. It's a lovely website that goes into the science and explains climate change, mm. science, and gives you a lot of different rebuttals to all the um, so-called cl climate skeptics, climate deniers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a fantastic site. And, and if I understand, they've got, a, a, they've got apps for your smartphone or, or tablet which downloads all the stuff onto your device and then you can just quickly, if you're having a face-to-face -face argument with somebody, you can quickly look up the answer to, to their argument. And they've got all the basic arguments there. It's an excellent service. Sounds good. Yeah. Dion, do you have a link for us? I do. It, it's an interesting one. We've been talking today about the sprawling masses of humanity. And mm. often on my courses, I ask people how rich they think they are. Right. And I asked them to rate themselves from poorest to, to richest in the world if there were 7 billion people in a line. And they always tell me without fail, oh, they'd be on the bottom end of that line, way <laughs> down there. The same people sitting in my course have cell phones, yeah. gelled hair, nice clothing, and a handbag, you know. Mm -hmm. And they arrived either in a car or a taxi, but they were able to afford whatever it is that they, mm -hmm. they did. And I say, okay, that's quite interesting. And then I send them to, and I put it up on the screen, globalrichlist.com. That is global globalrichlist, all one word, dot com. And uh, it's very simple. There's, there's, there's a, there's a Google-type interface that looks at you. It's just a little input, and it says, give us your annual salary. So you type in your annual salary in euros, dollars, or any other currency that, that they have on the list. Uh, for South Africans, kind of just take your RAND salary and put his, take a zero away, and yeah. you'll, you'll be okay. Yeah. 
And, uh, and then you click a button called show me the money and you click the show me the money button. And when you do, uh, a whole bunch of little people stand from left to right on your screen and it moves up or down. Mm -hmm. And one of them becomes red showing you where you are in proportion to the other 7 billion people that live on planet earth. Wow. In fact, it goes as far as to say you are the 59 uh, millionth richest person in the world wow. or whatever it is um so they've they've got it and they've got a whole website behind it an algorithm and they tell you what the science is what what maths they use it's very clever um but more than that what it does is it it gives a bit of perspective yeah. uh next time the hail smashes through your roof or whatever it is and you think you're so hard done by yeah. just go and look how close to Bill Gates you're standing on that queue. Yeah, exactly. When your wireless internet is a bit slow. Yes. First world problems. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, McDonald's was closed today. Oh. How dare they? Oh, McDonald's closed. That's a tragedy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, indeed. No, that's a good one. All right, I'll do it. Owen, do you have a link of the week? Uh, as a matter of fact, I do. Thanks for asking, Patrick. <laughs> so, My pleasure. So if you've ever been using the internet... Um, as you do, um, and you've come across an article which which made you crazy because somebody says something stupid on there, and you you wish you, you, you can kind of recognize that there's something wrong there, but you don't know what the wrong answer is, and and you wish you could read an article by somebody else who's written a good rebuttal to it. I'm sure that's happened to everyone, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, it just so happens that there's a tool available, and that is called Rebutter. And that uh, is spelt in a fun, in a funny way. It's R B U T R, rebutter.com. And it is a, a Google Chrome uh, browser plugin. So far, they're, they're going to be coming soon with Firefox and Internet Explorer plugins. Um, and what it does is when you go to a page, uh, and if somebody has uh, linked it to a rebuttal article, it'll pop up a little notification in the corner of your screen and saying, here, here, over here, there is an article that is rebutting this article that you're reading now. You can click over and then go see what's happening. And then w once you've installed the, the browser extension, you can join the rebutter community. And if you have identified or written an article that rebuts another article, you can link the two together so that other rebutter users can, uh, can benefit from your experience. Wow, that it's sounds a, fascinating. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty nifty tool. It, it's especially useful around election time, like, like it is in the States at the moment, and, and we're going to be getting it in South Africa soon as well. I mean, you, you, you're you looking at an article that's written from a particular political point of view, and you, you're kind of curious to see what the counterpoint is. Well, there it is. It's right there. There's a link in the corner, and off you go. So it's a nifty little tool. Good, man. It'll help us with our bullshit detection. Uh, hopefully, yeah. That's That's the idea. Speaking of bullshit detection, ladies and gentlemen, I've got some bad news for you. Our tinfoil is still standing on top of this Mountain Dew bottle. The great Houdini chose not to reveal himself to us this year. Do you think uh, Harry will mind if I take that off so I can have some Mountain Dew now? Oh, I'm sure you won't mind. Oh, there we go. Thanks, Harry. <laughs> There's a mozzie on the side here you can zap as well. Awesome. Oh, wait, don't kill him. It might be part of our um, genetic heritage. <laughs> there, we there we go. There we go. All right, Patrick. So, so where can people find you on the internet? Ah, I can be found all over the place in all the good social media sites with the username The Mist 1971. That's T H E M Y S T 1971. Awesome. And Dion, where can people find you on the internet? Well, my name is spelled D E O N Barnard B A R N A R D. Google that, and about twenty-five websites will appear with with me in it. So, so, so you're, you're the top-ranking result. <laughs> that I am. No Google can it's, it's fairly prolific. Nice. Uh, DionBarnard.net is probably a good place to start. Awesome. And Owen? 
Uh, well, you can probably do the same with me, actually. My, I just got an email notification yesterday that my uh, my uh, Google-approved authorship has gone through. So if you Google Owen Swart, you should find me fairly easily. You would have been able to do that anyway. But now you can see pictures of me right there in your Google search results. Um, otherwise, you can just go straight to owenswart.org. O-W-E-N-S-W-A-R-T dot O-R-G. I'm and Googling you right now. Let's see what comes up. Naked pictures of Owen Swart. Oh, oh my go. God. Look cool. At that. Awesome. So you've got the right one. That's awesome. Fantastic. You are, in fact, the very first um, uh, find there. Excellent. Your Google Plus um, site, whatever that is. Perfect. That's good news. Okay. Un unfortunately, it's Google Plus, folk, but uh, further down, there's a Facebook link for anyone who wants a real site. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's only because Facebook won't share their data with Google bastards. All right. Well, uh, that is all we have for you this week. Thanks to my co-hosts and to you, the listeners. Be sure to join us again next week for more Consilience. listening to Consilience. Our website is conciliencecast.wordpress.com and you can send us an email to conciliencecast at gmail.com. Theme music is The Optimist by Zoe Keating from freemusicarchive.org.